This podcast is made possible by the generosity of supporting members. Please visit dharmaocean.org to learn more about becoming a supporting member. You are listening to the Dharma Ocean Podcast. Going deeper into the theme of refuge, Reggie teaches on the difference between the inner view and the outer view of taking refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Inner refuge ultimately means that we are committing to our non-existence, the nature of reality, and relationships of integrity. This talk was given at the 2002 Winter Datun Retreat, held in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. To find out about the upcoming Winter Meditation Intensive at the Blazing Mountain Retreat Center in Crestone, Colorado, please visit dharmaocean.org. So in terms of what we're taking refuge in, there is an inner refuge and an outer refuge. The Inner refuge is taking refuge in the inner Buddha, which is, we could say, the Buddha nature. It's what I called yesterday the stream of non-existence that our life is. It's our own lack of solidity and our groundlessness. We're taking refuge in that. When we take refuge, the three refuges, the inner refuge, the real meaning of refuge is taking refuge in our non-existence. So normally in in life, we try to gloss over our non-existence and we try to hang on to experiences of solidity. That's what we do. And we have these little islands of samsaric experience and we try to string them together. But in this case, we're taking refuge in our non-existence. And we are regarding as sacred the moments when we do not, we cannot find a solid sense of self when we feel groundless and when the whole world is shifting. We regard those as sacred and we take refuge in those. And then the inner dharma is the nature of things as they are. We take refuge in reality beyond thought. And the nature of the sangha, the inner sangha refuge, is that we commit ourselves to relationships that are characterized by integrity and not by mutual deception and mutual manipulation. You know, we are, um, whatever other people may do or not do, we commit ourselves to be straightforward with others. And even if we have to pay a price for that. So we take refuge in that kind of relationship. Now, you might think, that sounds great. I think I'll do it. You know, I feel, um, you know, I want to take refuge in my non-existence. I, 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 I like the idea of reality. <laughs> and I'm tired of people fucking me over, so I want to take refuge in, you know, decent relationships. But the thing about a commitment is you have to actually see it through. In other words, if you take refuge in this way, in the inner refuges, 
you have to realize this in your life. You can't just take refuge and then walk away from it and figure, you know, I took refuge, everything's fine, now I'm a follower of the Buddha. Because the Buddha not only showed people reality, but he trained them. And so the question that goes back to you is, how are you going to train yourself? How are you going to realize these three refuges as, as your life? How are you going to move from the point where you've seen something and you've made a commitment to it to the point where you've actually realized it? Because the thing about Buddhism is you have to realize it. You can't, you can't take it on as a kind of um, nice religious identity. Buddhism is not like that. It's not like you know, conventional religious traditions the world over, including Buddhism. You know, the essential dharma is that you have to go through the process of transformation. So the ball's back in your court. How are you going to do that? Most people, almost everybody, needs a container of transformation. You need that. You know, you could say, uh, you could hear about Datun, you know, and you could tell people what we've been through, and they could say, you know, I think I'll do that. I think I'll just, you know, sit at home and kind of go through my shit and look around and kind of experience the vividness of the world. (laughs) And your response, I hope, (laughs) would be, you know, you really actually need to go through the training. You can't just do it. You have to go through the training process if you really want to experience what we're talking about. Refuge is that way, but much more so. You have to have a container for your transformation. And that brings us to the outer refuges. So the issue here is that you can't just take the inner refuges and let it go at that, unless you're a very, very extraordinary person and you can just, you know, um, it's said that there were some of the Buddha's early disciples that they took refuge and they achieved enlightenment at that moment. Kandinya was the very first. And he did it. And he showed the others and they saw him and they saw how profound the teachings of the Buddha were because he took refuge. The Buddha said, Ehi Bhikkhu, which means come, Bhikshu, come and see. And he took refuge and achieved enlightenment. But unless you're like Kandinya, you need the relative refuges so that you can actually make the journey and you can achieve what, you know, is what has been laid out. So the relative refuge is the Buddha is a, a person and not only a person, but the Buddha really is the lineage of teachers. And we need that. We need a lineage and we need a specific human embodiment of the teachings, most of us. We need that. So that's the relative refuge. And I don't think you can really dispense with it unless you're a very, very unusual person. Then we come to the uh, relative dharma the ultimate dharma being things as they are, the relative dharma is actually the path that has been laid out. And the path in our tradition is the path of meditation. That's it. The practice of meditation is the path. And when I talk about this on Sunday, I'm going to say part of taking refuge implies a lifelong commitment to meditation practice. Daily meditation, weekly meditation, yearly you know, intensives, that, that you make meditation practice the core of your spiritual life in terms of your practice. 
And that, I don't think you can really dispense with that. And I, when I give refuge, I don't dispense with it. I don't say it's up to you. You can do whatever you feel like. That really is part of what we're talking about here, the practice of meditation. And then in our tradition, we also study. And study is very important because it, uh, you, you need the right view to meditate. Otherwise, you become confused and lost and you don't really know what you're doing. And you don't, when things come up, you don't know what to do with them. And then the Sangha is, um, in a way, you know, always the one that uh, is the most interesting. We, the relative Sangha is, one thing we have to realize is that whoever we are, we have a, we already have some kind of Sangha. We have some kind of social group, whether it's our family, our um you know, maybe our therapeutic community, our, you know, maybe we're into skiing, I don't know, you know, our friends, but we have, already have a Sangha, and we do take refuge in them. You know, people have human needs, and they look to others to, uh, as part of just being a human being, you have to do it. Even if it's just in your mind, if you're in retreat, there's always a, there are always people, always people that are part of who we are. And taking refuge in the Sangha means that you take refuge in the community of people who are devoted to the Three Jewels. Now, they might not be Buddhists, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but there's some sense of spiritual brothers and sisters who are like-minded. So, taking refuge ultimately means our, our non-existence, the nature of reality, and, you know, relationships of integrity. And if you find people who have not taken refuge in that inner way, even if they're Buddhist, they're not, they're not followers of the Buddha. They're doing something that may be valuable, and eventually they may become, they may follow the Buddha's inner, true inner way, but they haven't really taken refuge. If their thing is just the external thing. But if they've taken the internal thing, then no matter who they are, their refuge is a true refuge. But then the question comes up, how are you going to get the training? So most people who take refuge will, you know, the best thing that you can do is relate to a Sangha and undertake the training that is offered and their training offered, you know, the Theravadan people, the Vipassana people have wonderful training, the Zen communities have wonderful training, the different Tibetan communities offer wonderful training, but they offer training, and you really put through something. You have to commit yourself, you have to meditate, you have to study, you know, whatever it may be, the particular character and personality of that, of that tradition, you go through that. Most people who take refuge really need to do that. It's really important to do it. And if you kind of drift around after taking refuge and you don't really hook into some pattern of training, it's kind of like you're not really fulfilling your vow because part of the vow is that you're going to realize this in this life. So then we come to the interesting question of what if you're a member of another religious tradition? And I said before that it is... There's room for that within the Dharma for people practicing any religious tradition and even no religious tradition. 
there's room for that, provided that you take the three refuges, the inner refuges, and that you have some way of fulfilling the outer refuges. You have a human teacher, you have a, a tradition of transformation, and you have a, a community, a non-theistic community. So then we could say, well, what constitutes, you know, what are the, what are the marks of, uh, say, you're uh, this person who's a Catholic priest in California. What, is, what does refuge mean in that case? What does it really mean? He's a priest. He's, he, he gives mass. He's a priest in good standing in the uh, Catholic Church. Well, number one is non-theism, which is that ultimately the truth is found not outside your experience, but within it. It's not found somewhere else. Now, one very important thing is that all of us are theists until we get to the non-theistic part. In other words, the non-theistic part is a pretty high level of realization. So right now, we pray to the lineage, we may pray to Jesus, we may pray to Muhammad, we may, um, you know, we pray to our teacher, Milarepa, during his whole life, he prayed to Marpa constantly, always. He, he would say Marpa, even though his teacher was dead, he was praying to him constantly and um, talking to him and receiving some kind of uh, interchange with his, his, his master. And that is a necessary part of the path, that kind of reliance on something external. But the thing that makes Buddhism different is it says that eventually you have to leave that behind. And you have to realize that the essence of Milarepa, if he's your guru, or the essence of Chogyam Trungpa, if he's your guru, is actually within your own nature. And so, you know, ultimately, the, the Buddha is a, he's a projection of our mind, ultimately. If, if we see ourselves here and the Buddha over here, it's a necessary projection for the path, but it is a projection. And it, it, doesn't, it isn't of the nature of reality that the Buddha is an external being or that Chogyam Trungpa is an external being. He is, they are of the nature of our own awareness when we become fully aware. So this means that if, if you're a, this, you know, Catholic priest, hypothetical Catholic priest in California, who we're just kind of using as an example, it means that the way he regards Jesus is that Jesus is a necessary fiction that on the relative level is extremely real and appears to be different from his own mind and uh, tremendous devotion. But on the ultimate level, Jesus is, is nothing other than an aspect of his own awareness that in, at the present time is projected on the outside. That's the non-theism. And, you know, um, if, you, if you regard, even in Buddhism, if you regard any of the the great beings as external entities in an ultimate and absolute sense, that's not Buddhism. And if you feel, well, you know, Muhammad or uh, Krishna or Jesus are realities that are independent of me and that that that's part of the structure of the universe and they're always going to be there, that's not Buddhism. That's that's not non-theism and you you shouldn't be taking refuge if that's your understanding. In terms of the Dharma, um, I, th- I think, again, we have the non-theistic theme, which is the, always the key point with Buddhism, which is that if you are following a tradition 
that is leading you to a point of realizing your own non-existence and realizing the inseparability of outer and inner and the fundamental emptiness of reality at the same time that it's sacred, if, that's, uh, if your path is leading you that way, it doesn't really matter whether it's Christianity or Islam or Buddhism or anything else. It's, it's the true Dharma. That's the true Dharma. And it should be trusted and should be followed. But if it's a, a path of practice that's leading you in another direction, then that's not the Dharma. And then in terms of the Sangha, I've already talked about that. If, if the Sangha that you're taking refuge in is um, a Sangha that is going in that direction and holds those as the ideals, then that's a true Sangha. But otherwise it's not. It's going in a different direction. So I would never say that in taking refuge you have to, um, you have to give up other, your other traditions or renounce your past. Never. Because all of those other traditions that we have studied in our lifetime are part of us and we have learned from them and their wisdom is in us. And whatever Buddhism we may practice is going to include our Christian upbringing and our study with the native traditions if we've done that. It's all going to be part of who we are. And it should be. So that's a very important point, that Buddhism or the practice of the Dharma does not involve renouncing uh, anything that we have learned from or anything that's sacred. Do you have to call yourself a Buddhist? I don't think so. I think that if you're, um, if you're a Christian and you are doing what I'm talking about, that is Buddhism. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you're following the way of the Buddha. There's no, no real problem there. But the non-theistic thing really is fundamental. And for a lot of people, that's the place where they get stuck and they just can't get over it. They're just not willing to give that up. In Zen tradition, it says, if you see the Buddha, kill the Buddha. Which means if you see the Buddha as an external being, you have to, you have to go beyond that. In a similar way with Jesus, Krishna, Mohammed, ultimately, if you see them, you have to let them go. And you have to be naked. You know, you can't always have Jesus helping you out. At a certain point, you have to be, you have to carry everything that you saw in him yourself. You have to do it. And the only way to do it is actually to let go of your reliance on Jesus or whoever as an external being. So refuge implies that at the very beginning. It's, uh, we are committed to this path. We're committed in that way. And I would say that there will be, out of a thousand people, there will be maybe, um, you know, 990 who will connect with a Sangha in spite of their tremendous ambivalence about, you know, having to relate to a lot of fucked up people. (laughs) And they will realize that the, the Dharma the Dharma transcends the collective neuroses of the practitioners. It's more powerful than that. And you can be in a group of people, all of whom are, you know, pretty much beginners, and the Dharma's power is there. But then there will be ten people left over. What about them? Nine of those people will be following the Buddha's way, but they won't want to call themselves a Buddhist because they will feel that in doing that, they are creating a false duality in their life. In other words, 
There are going to be nine people for whom not calling themselves a Buddhist and not joining an official Sangha is a, is a statement not of hesitation but of integrity. It happens. You know, I work with people like that. There are not very many, but there are some people for whom joining an organization is not the right way. And there has to be room for that. But they have to, they have, to have the inner and the outer refuges. They've got, there has to be a way for that to happen. Now, for them, it's harder because for them, you know, the teacher is going to be pretty much it. I mean, they have to basically put all their chips in that basket because they don't have anything else. They don't have a sangha. They don't have a, a path that's laid out. And basically, the teacher, in many cases, is going to put them through exactly the same thing that they would have gone through if they'd been part of the organization. And usually, it's, it's worse, actually, which it might be good. I mean, that might be very beneficial, that sometimes when you're part of an organization, you can kind of find the easy way through. And if you're working closely with a teacher, that teacher you know, is going to be more on your case, beating you over the head and sort of pushing you in a direction where there isn't a lot of escape. So those nine people, I have great admiration for that. But it's not for everybody. And many of us need, you know, we need the... Um, the rather rich environment of a, an organized sangha with its path and its, um, and its approach. And then there's going to be, so that's 999. What about the other person? The other person, the last person, is a person who is a member of another faith and continues to be a member of another faith, like the uh, priest in California, if he exists, if he's still alive. And that person has taken the inner refuges and taken the outer refuge and has a completely non-theistic idea of Christianity and a totally meditative approach to the spiritual life. And that person is a... Um, their Christianity has been nourished by that path. And it's very powerful. In fact, I know more people than that. I could name some other people that I've worked with over the years who I think are... They're really followers of the Buddha, and um, I don't really think I regard them as any less than any other follower of the Buddha, although they may be a Trappist monk or a Benedictine or whatever. To download more of Reggie's teachings, find out about upcoming retreats, and to explore a variety of audio listening guides to assist you on your spiritual journey, please visit dharmaocean.org. Our music is by Jeff Beale and Nawang Ketchog from the album Tibet Cry of the Snow Lion.